Hey everyone, this is Sina with another episode of Into the Bytecode. So this is a conversation with someone I really, really admire, Ayam Yaguchi, who's the executive director of the Ethereum Foundation. And we actually recorded this a few months ago towards the end of December in 2022. So it has the feeling of a conversation where we're zooming out and reflecting both on what's just happened and what's coming next. And we talked about a whole bunch of different things, including Ethereum, the philosophy of subtraction, the book Finite and Infinite Games by James Kars, and the impact it's had on both of us. And we talk about Aya's path through life more generally. And for instance, how she was a high school teacher in Japan back in the day and how that's influenced how she thinks about management today. So I'm particularly excited to share this with you because while I think many people know of Aya, not many people have necessarily had a peek into who she is as a person and how she thinks as, at a deeper level. And I hope that some of that comes through in this conversation. So with that, I'll leave you to it after this note from our sponsors. Into the Bytecode is sponsored by Optimism. The Optimism Collective is building the open source modular software project known as the OP Stack, which allows developers to run layer two blockchains while also addressing key governance and economic challenges in the wider ecosystem. Optimism's also leading decentralized grants experiments like retroactive public goods funding, which recently granted 10 million OP to projects across developer tooling, infrastructure, and education. More recently, they had a major milestone by adding Coinbase's blockchain base to also be governed by Optimism governance and also contribute a portion of their sequencer revenues back to the collective. I've known the Optimism team for many years and know that they're dedicated to both scaling Ethereum and extending its ability to build better economic structures. So if you're interested in learning more, whether you want to build something new or you want to apply for grant funding, then I encourage you to check out Optimism at optimism.io. You are going to be part of um, something. I think maybe I said this to you when um, like I was convincing you to help us. <laughs> like this is like a once in lifetime thing um, to experience, like feeling involved in this very special project. Like you can be part of Ethereum um, for, for hopefully forever, right? In some way. But the role that EF has now, you know, maybe the, this decade or like it's very special because Ethereum is still at the earlier time. Like I think if we look at look look back later, this is still very early time. I agree. And we carry a very special role in this. And like how often can you be part of that special thing is... Um, I didn't, I myself kind of decided to help because of that, uh, even if it wasn't really, you know, the easiest <laughs> option I had. Yeah. I remember one, um, I was joking around with some friends about this recently, where for the, 
the night where the transition from proof of work to proof of stake was happening. I went to Boulder and was with some of the, you know, Ethereum developers, Ethereum Foundation friends. And I remember like those moments of watching the transition happen. I felt so like emotional, <laughs> you know, it was, it was very real to me. And I was just reflecting on how, um, how just, what a journey this yeah, has been. Yeah, a long journey. You and know? it's not just about this year, right? Because you've been watching Ethereum for a long yeah, time. Yeah, and I, I wasn't even around at the very, very beginning. But it was almost, it was, um, it was a very, um, it was me noticing how much I actually cared about it mm. <laughs> in a way where it's mm. easy to talk about this stuff. But when I'm there and I'm actually feeling like, genuinely deeply like touched by what's happening and the fact that you know like proof of stake and all of this stuff was just uh it was it was literally an idea like no one had tried something like this before and i mean the context for it didn't even exist right when bitcoin was around i mean maybe some of the early ideas were around but the fact that you can use the you know the c currency the um the the material that you have to use to uh, to use that to use the infrastructure that that thing itself could be used to like secure the network and it could have this like really powerful feedback loop like that just being like a very rough idea and I remember one of the first kind of Ethereum meetups I went to was in San Francisco mm. in like 2016 2017 and there was this person who was telling me about proof of stake and they were so excited and they were like, ah, like you should go read Vitalik's like posts and, you know, fleshing out all of the research and working through all the kinks of that. And then it getting to the engineering part and just trying to put myself in the shoes of people who are working on this project from a technical point of view of there are tens of billions of dollars running on this live network and you're, fun, you're literally changing the engine that comes to consensus. And you have to do that in a way that isn't going to have any problems. And then coming up to the actual merge, like you have this moment where you're going to like do this live swap. Uh, it's just insane. And then to be there when it actually happened yeah. and to know many of the people who were involved, it just felt so inspiring. Yeah. And, you know, like, you know, those people, uh, especially you're at the border and then like our people, especially like people who I work with, like those like Daniel and Vitalik and those like, they're not like, they always kind of chill, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, like there's that, like they don't talk, like sound too serious, but then like, oh my goodness, this, this, what, what, what this uh, community has accomplished is. Um, like, I think you also said that too, like the, the opening video at Tepcon, it's like that too. That. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, I, I was also kind of like, I had some tears. I'm like the, <laughs> yes, I was joking with my friend that I've been so brainwashed. I can't even help <laughs> myself. <laughs> it's funny like because I thought I was just working on like a technical thing, but <laughs> at some point it went deeper than that. Yeah. I think everyone has different, you know, history with these same, right? Because, um, like, you just share the story of meetup, and then 
So that's why, like, when I was watching video, like, I watched that video actually many times at the rehearsal. <laughs> like, I the gave, video at the beginning of DEF CON? Yeah, the opening video, like, I, we were working on it. Like, the, I mean, the team was working on this, like, a few days before, and then I was giving feedback. So I watched many, many times. I'm still, like, even, like, maybe even when I watch it now, it it is just, like, you know, like, you just reflect on, like, this what's happened before like how much like long journey like how much we have come is yeah it is amazing and then again like i'm i'm just a supporter but can't even describe like how um yeah like happy or not just happy like we um impressed with how this was done. One thing I wanted to ask you about was this image of Ethereum as an infinite garden. Mm. And <clears throat> it's an image that I found to be really powerful and beautiful. And I was, I wanted to ask if you remember how this came together for you. Yeah, it was around the time, like, um, after, since I joined the EF, it was, um, it's more like a, a lot of pressure, like a lot of um, changes that needed to happen internally and also what support we are doing externally kind of thing. So I, it was, a, that was the time like I kind of sit back and then um, thought about like what's happening, like more, like really observing the ecosystem. I just um, um, kind of this mixed feeling of, I always have this, um, you know, like uh, the excitement and also uh, concern, right? Like um, like a concern meaning more, more like, like what can, this is, because again, like we're not really, EF is not really controlling like how the ecosystem goes and then no one should be. And then, and then this natural growth is very amazing and then how Ethereum has grown um, is also, you know, exciting. But at the same time, um, um, just like any, any um, ideas or project or institutions, in the history, like that, the values that Ethereum has could be lost. E I shouldn't say easily, but it could be lost in for any reasons, right? And that's that's a natural um, thing. Like uh, anyone can be concerned, and so then, like I thought about, like what is special about Ethereum? Like what is what was special about Ethereum to me? And I was looking for a way to describe, but then like went back to this book that I, um, it wasn't that year, like I read that book, like um, I think it was in 2018, um, like before Depcom plug, um, Depcom 4 plug that Stuart Brand recommended this book, Finite and Infinite Games. And and I thought it was, uh, um, I liked the book, but it's just like somehow 
later I felt like oh drawn to like re reading the book and then I just read it again and I felt that yeah some somehow like this is like I don't need to find new way of describing Ethereum like this book describes what's special about Ethereum to me and and that that was about finite players and versus infinite players. Finite players play a game uh, for the purpose of winning the game, which is normal normal definition of a game for most of the people. Um, but infinite players play a game to continue to play together. Right? And then I just felt, yeah, that describes perfectly what I felt special about the Ethereum. And, and then, yeah, we have that. We have this, like, you know, like this being playful together, but then very serious about building things together. But is anyone uh, trying to really win at all? Like, meaning, like, win everything, like one person, because Ethereum wouldn't exist if one person tries to win the whole thing. Um, so I thought that describes perfectly what is special about Ethereum. And, and then I was thinking like, what is infinite what? Infinite city, infinite. Um, and then I just thought it's um, something to describe this organic growth that uh, this ecosystem wasn't really designed by, you know, like it wasn't like, okay, this is a design. You know, we are going to build this in this way or there was organic growth. Um, I mean, there was organic growth even to the technical advancements, but also um, how the ecosystem grew and become more mature is that there is some like organic process happening. And then we want to embrace that. I mean, of course, of course we have to think about like or like like we do have plans and things, but it's 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 not really like controlling into one set plan. Um, so that's why um, one day, I think it was the end of twenty twenty. Um, especially that was a special year because of COVID, and we had more time to sit down and reflect on things and and then um so i was writing an email i write an email to like uh ear and email to everyone at the ethereum foundation um and then now now it's growing so we have like 270 people but um but again there's no you know some people are like kind of in between EF and somewhere else but anyway like so i write a message to everyone at the end of the year. And that year, I wanted to share that very strongly. I'm like kind of an intuitive person, so sometimes why I'm feeling this way doesn't come much, like, like I, it comes later, like, oh, this is why I was thinking this way. So I can explain now that that, that was the year, like the watching what's happening in the world and then this pandemic and then um, a lot of things were confusing. Actually, blockchain or crypto started to uh, gain more attention, uh, if you remember that, because of how 
that what's happening in the world was showing the, the problems of the systems, the, ex, the limitation of existing system, like how the supply chain works kind of thing. And, and then so it, it got a lot of attention, but I just thought this is an important time for us to remind ourselves, but also not to lose why we are working on ATM. And, and that could be gone easily. And that's why I wanted to share something in, the, the, in, in, in a vision. And then I share this as a, this is a, what I think is ATM vision. Like I didn't really uh, try to push this idea to everyone. It's more like I wanted to share how I thought. Uh, and then because of this reason, and I shared uh, this, you know, like in, intro part of Final Infinite Games. Amazing, amazing book. Um, <laughs> like it's like a one page first summary page there is a on the book that alone is almost enough like yeah and yeah so that's how that was born and and then after that um you know like i think um a lot of people felt related to that and and then again anyone can have different vision of him but at least with my position, I thought it was important for me to share that, to be clear on that. And also, um, you know, how that would impact, like how, like where EF is, is heading. Yeah. So that was the idea. That's a really, it's a really powerful book. I actually reread it in advance of our conversation and, um, yeah, it's almost, it's it's like a philosophical text, but it also feels almost like a work of poetry. Like there's these devices he uses in there where he contrasts the two things with each other. You know, finite players play to win, infinite players play to continue. Um, there's many places where he does that. Um, do you... Um, it was it was interesting because I also first read this book maybe four years ago, and I didn't get it. If I'm being honest, like it just kind of bounced off of me. Um, it felt quite uh, obtuse, like it was just yeah. using these very like esoteric words. And um, but this time around, when I read it, I had the same experience of like, wow. How, how has someone put this into words so eloquently? And I think the delta for me between these two times of reading it was actually meditation. Mm -hmm. And like that, I, I, in some ways, I feel like this kind of infinite player way of being in the world is very tied into meditation for me. But I'm curious for other people, like for you, can you trace back like what... Um, how you came to see the world in this way? Or was it kind of always natural? Yeah, that's a really good question. Because when I read the book first, I didn't feel I learned something new. Right. right? So that's the thing. Like, I didn't feel like I learned something new. Like, oh, this that's, that's kind of like a similar to what I always see, uh, view the world or like like what I like hope the world to be. But then like that year, I felt like, yeah, like you said, this guy described it 
in in such a perfect simple way and then it's so strong because it's simple like the, the simpler the message is or the word is or even music is like it's stronger the message is how i always feel uh and so again like you're right that that wasn't something that just i discovered discovered from the book it's more like it wasn't in me right and then it's almost like it's too dense to deliver that message on its own in some ways and it, it makes me think of you know there's a saying of all great you know great writing um reminds you of something you already know or like puts a mirror to something you already believe and it just expresses it in a very clear way i think um we always have that in the you know we talked about this inner child um soul yesterday i'm not going to touch why about <laughs> this but um the reason why basically kids when kids start to play like like can be football or um whatever like they just learn because it's like they don't really at some point they became an adult and then think about winning but originally they just like you know playing with the ball and it's fun and it's just you know like playing with others it's also fun right and then sometimes like even even like parents tell you to stop okay it's dinner time come back and you don't want to continue to play right that feeling is should be always in us but then like we somehow it became everything be, like becomes about winning like you have to you have to be better than a uh, meaning like better meaning like you, your score has to be better than others for like that's a good thing like somewhere we learned that but then like, i think part of me was not agreeing with it but also at the same time i grew up in japan and i had um i guess my maybe my dad was an influence he wasn't he was very not japanese in a way that he didn't really he didn't like listening to um uh someone's advice just because someone is an expert like you he wouldn't just listen to a doctor's advice because that person has the title of doctor So somehow it was maybe me like I was very short as a kid so like I, I had this like a rebel side I wanted to prove that I even if I look very tiny um I can do things or so maybe the thing like the big goal so tells you infinite player doesn't have a title and then but they only have a name I was like that's that's exactly you know it i mean i currently i have title actually i don't really like having a title yeah. so the, the the beginning of um last year decided to okay like i'm just ed but ed is eclectic dreamer ed or something i guess just self claimed it but anyway even as a teacher i was a high school teacher in japan i told in japan uh wait you did aikido karate You did I did karate, karate for 10 right? years. And so. you you call them uh, the sensei, right? You call yeah. the teacher sensei. So in Japan normally it's normal for students to call you um like my last name is Miyaguchi. So Miyaguchi sensei. Yeah. That's a normal way for students to call That's me. That's how people, everyone should call each other. That sounds so cool. <laughs> Miyaguchi sensei. <laughs> But then I didn't like it. I didn't want my students to respect me just because I had that title. Yeah. Right? And I thought teachers should earn it. Right? And then um 
earned res respect. So that's why I told my students, don't, don't call me Miyagi-sensei. So they actually, my students were calling me like, like my first, with my first name without sensei. And, um, something like that. It was really, I was intuitively, intuitively like acting that way, but then, um, this book, like this described a lot of things that was, um, you know, like more natural to me, but the word doesn't really work that way. So that's, it, it's just kind of like much, oh yes, that's exactly what I, and then someone is saying it, like now someone is saying in this book. Uh, so that's why I felt excited to discover the book, like, like someone actually is able to describe what I wanted to say in a very simple way, in a strong message. Yeah, this idea of titles versus names is a super powerful one. And I, I think I talked about it in my conversation with Josh maybe, but I remember we had a conversation back in the day where you, you explained what this meant to me. And, um, and again, I think, you know, my journey has been, you know, like maybe the years add up, but like, eight years ago or however long ago it was, I was very much in this mold of, I want to build a startup. I want to succeed in these ways. And I, um, and, and that way of being is potentially, you know, for some people, and it was the case for me, it's built on a foundation of ultimately wanting other people to like respect you or like, or proving to your, the book also says this, it's like, you want to prove to other people that you are not what they think you are not what they think you are, or you're, you can go above and beyond what, you know, the limited vision of you they have. And there is something beautiful in that for sure. But it's, it's very different than, um, defining what you're going to do in an intrinsic way, right? And this idea of titles versus names. And I think, you know, we can decouple what's useful about titles, which is that they can make an organization legible. You can know who has even responsibilities is kind of like a gray area. But, you know, externally, for instance, or when someone new joins the org, they can understand who's to in a much, in a simpler way. But on the other hand, a title kind of like reduces you to one dimension Definitely. and um, and it puts lanes on who you're allowed to be and what you're allowed to think about and care about. And it tries to, in some subtle way, makes you like one of, you know, a fungible type of person. Like I am the director of engineering and this means that I'm like, you know, there's other directors of engineering in this org and there's directors of engineering in other orgs. And like, you know, we're all kind of like similar, but there's something beautiful about letting all of that go and realizing that, you know, there's only one of me. And this can be a, un you know, who I am, what I do, what I think is like a really unique expression of who I am and really leaning into that. And that's also, I think, the way it, it not only is a better way to be, in my opinion, I, I also think it leads to just better, um, it leads to better outcomes, I think, in an objective way. 
because it allows you to like really just lean into what what you care about, what you're really good at, like kind of carve your own unique thing that didn't need to exist previously. Yeah, totally. Actually, you, I do remember now, like we talked about that. Like, yeah. And then um, to me, um, you know, in my eyes, I was a, like, I, I knew it, like, Sina, you're going to, you wouldn't need it, right? Like, uh, I can see other people's um, potential and, and talents probably better than my, my own self, but like, was like, oh, you need it. But then um, that's more natural. Like, it's funny because we went through that journey. Like, you, you're not the only person who asked about that at the Return Foundation. And again, like, uh, um, so I also understand that side of um, the feeling because that's how the society works normally. And it, so we still have, like, I will often have this conversation, like, oh, so there's, you know, like, I also try to be flexible and then an understanding of that, like, realistic situation. But at the same time, like, I was very confident, like, okay, like, uh, we can talk about it later. But then, like, you know, now, like, if you say, well, if we hear, oh, Sina, like, oh, Sina is asking this, everyone's like, oh, Sina, that's Sina. Like, yeah, of course. Like, and it's, a, it's, it's very powerful. Like, we can associate that, that the name with, with, uh, link to who you are, like who you really are. And we, yeah. all the experience that I shared with you. And then, so with that, that's why I, you know, like I said yes to this, not because whatever title you, you actually, I don't know your title. <laughs> I know. Well, we're not doing titles. So <laughs> okay, good. I'm stealing that from the EF. Cool. So, so that's, um, I think that that's great. And then actually I'm, um, envy of that situation now. Like I often actually struggle with my own title. I feel like I'm becoming a boring person when I have this big title. And then people just recognize me as this title, not like I used to, people always knew, like used to know me just as Aya, like, well, they'll be interested in me or who, who I am or, Anyway, so it's just like yeah. kind of it's in it's like easier to see it, you know, at the level um for instance, someone like Vitalik, it might be easier to see something like this with. Mm-hmm. Like Vitalik's title could be, I don't know, chief scientist. No, she the, he actually claims himself chief scientist. Yeah. No one ever use it. <laughs> right. But I'm saying like it's like with someone like him, um, especially like if you followed you know, the things he talks about, how he is as a person, it's very clear that this title is just this like small thing you're like sticking onto this very complex, dynamic person. And like, I don't think of him as the chief scientist for Ethereum. I think of him as this like very unique person. Yeah. And that's true for everyone. And it's just that for most people, we, you know, when someone new meets you, they, they, well, there isn't this, um, breadth of materials about you beforehand for people to realize the depth and texture that there is to who you are. Yeah. Um, but exactly. um, I don't think executive director describes even 10% right. of who I am, or maybe 1%. <laughs> I 
like if you if you try to imagine who I am from that title, can you? I don't know. Like, well, that this was actually going to be one of my questions, which <laughs>、okay. is,、uh, what does executive director of the Ethereum Foundation mean? How do you think about what that means? Because I I think this is another one of、um, the things where.、Um, From the outside, I think now I think a lot of people are realizing that these ecosystems, these organizations, are different than how we would have thought about them from this previous, you know, worldview. But I think some people would imagine that okay, executive director means you're running this organization, you're、uh, I don't know this operational, you know, mastermind who's just doing all of this stuff. And,、um, but again, I think similar to how、um, the Ethereum Foundation, as an org, has didn't have a clear answer of what the hell this thing is, and there was this process of like discovering it. I think in a similar way, <laughs> executive director at the Ethereum Foundation is like another layer on top of like this thing that's unclear、yeah. what it is, and there's been. And then I think another probably related to this titles versus names thing is that I don't think roles kind of make sense independent of the person who steps into them, right? There's like a, there's a unique expression to each role based on who's who's in that position. So I'm, how do you think about what this role means, or what is what is your intention or aspiration about how? Um, how to what you're trying to do? What a what a beautiful version of this would look like. So, the question of、um, more than or I already said I don't like titles, but more than the question of like what what is the ED of Ethereum Foundation should be, but I've been asking these questions of of what is my role in this? Why? Why am I here? Why was I asked to be here? And like that was a big question I was asking all the time, especially at the beginning. And then,、um, so the role like is is more important than the title itself. And but I think、uh, like you're right that just because I have this ED title, like、um, I'm not really probably like I have never. <laughs> Being someone else as AD、uh, somewhere else, but、um, I'm not really like my my role is maybe more unique and, and in a way because of what I believe、um, how the leadership should be, but also also because of the the talents that we have at the EF and then. Like also like there was Vitalik and then、um, like originally kind of when I joined like he was involved in more in 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 like kind of part of operational management type of things and then but then I、um, I think I wanted him to focus on what only he can do like and then he doesn't really need the title but that he what he Can do is very very special that no one else can do, right? And he should focus on that. So in the same way, I learned that I shouldn't really try to be someone different or 
pretend that, that I uh, can do things when I can't really do something. So I, uh, so what is, what is my strength? And then um, that if I can discover that, I should focus on that. And then I, and then, so I try to think about it. But then that the more I worked on um, defining, not defining, it's more like, like worked on the, the focusing on what I only, I can do. And, and that actually led to like setting the vision. Um, also my intuitive methods or principles are um, now part of EF's, like EF has guiding principles, like three guiding principles. And that kind of thing is meaning like I, I'm the one to, to set the vision, set the principles, but then like I have amazing other people who can actually uh, guide uh, others to, to uh, implement or execute with those principles. And that requires a lot of um, education and an actual physical operational work. And so I can never do that by myself. But with my background, I guess the mix of um, me coming from this tiny country, Japan, but also uh, I was the teacher. Um, I mean, I guess I was who I was before becoming a teacher. That's why I was a teacher. But all this kind of combined together. Um, now I can see like what what is my role, and then also others can see that better. So that yeah, okay, like I guess um, yeah. What are the three principles? So three principles is uh, um, long term thinking. Right, like we have to think about the time that EF is potentially not there anymore, um, but it, we want still eating the ecosystem to thrive and, and be healthy, right? So long-term thinking. And then stewardship of values, which is Ethereum has a lot of values that we share. Like we don't, you know, some of the, uh, like you, someone like you, like we don't like open source or privacy or like uh, security or that kind of like values that we share and then, um, I think the values are also culture we share, meaning like how we are open about like how we have discussions openly or that kind of thing. It's um, so EF tries to be the like steward of that, um, so that we can nurture that side that community believes in this too. And then the last um, last one, and then I think it this is the most important but also difficult to describe one is subtraction and so those three and and again it was i i got help from others to describe what it, it was in my mind and how i was making decisions and the others helped to describe that into three words well subtraction was already there but um yeah so that is um I realized that 
if I can guide everyone to share, um, be aligned with this vision and principles, and then they can act independently, make even decisions independently, and that's that's the best way to. I mean, that's also part of subtraction because then I don't have to be there as a boss. So I don't really, I don't really act like a regular boss boss because I never liked to be a boss. I was a teacher, right? Like a teacher is very different from being a boss. And then you still have students and they listen to you. But then um, I wouldn't tell them like, I'm your boss, you listen to me, right? Like, What does it look like to bring the teacher mindset into managing people? You will give guidance and mentorship, but you won't do it. Like you have to let them do it, right? And you have to let them make mistakes. And then you might give more advice from there, but you, you have to let them do it. So that's the, um, and also some, sometimes the, the, when, when there's a boss, if you have to listen to them, even if you don't really understand what they're saying, right? Because it's a boss, boss tells you. And, but the teacher should try to let them understand, fully understand why am I asking this or, why I think this is good. Um, so like understanding the why part is very important. And I think like at EF, it's very important. We, so sometimes like, I think you, you've been part of it. So you understand this. We discuss, discuss so uh, extensively until everyone in the room can get it. And if someone, and also it's similar to how Ethereum, like in, in the Ethereum community or even like EIP discussion like happens and like everyone debate uh, until, you know, everyone is convinced, right? Otherwise, this is not going to be part of the part of the process. So in the same way, um, if we, it, like uh, in, in a way, it's a lot of discussion and coordination and work, but it is still sub- subtraction because you're not really subtracting the power. It's more like you are giving the power to the person to understand, fully understand that now the torch is in their hand so that they can go out there and then explain this to others. So that's like a real teaching teacher's job or role. And then I, I, I don't know uh, how to do it otherwise because I was a teacher for a long term, long time. So I, it's still not my nature to tell people what to do without like actually feeling that this person fully understand it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that that feels related to subtraction, but it feels like it could almost be this other independent value. Because I, I, I think like teaching rather than, um, I don't know, telling or something or managing in the default way. Though I think like really good management probably looks like this, you know, um, like you, you, especially with people who are, you know, like say with other executives in a traditional organization, like you don't tell them what to do. That's not the point at all. The point is to align on the why and the vision and like what problems we're trying to solve and then give everyone real decision-making power and autonomy. So I think 
actually a lot of times before me telling the the decision, it's more like I actually let each team um, discuss the decision, right? Like, uh, for example, like if there's a DevCon team and then, um, um, like, I let them discuss what is the decision as a team and then since, and then I, they come to me and then I can, like, share my opinion or my advice. But by the time that they come to me, they already have fully discussed or they actually it's easy for them to understand why I'm sharing this part because they already have discussed this. So that's like the process is not like from the top to down. It's more like... It's similar to how in school, if you spend time like, you know, reading the materials or working on a problem set before you go to class, it's so much more powerful because you've already like formed a mental model of what what this could look like and there's a place for that new information to land yeah yeah so i think normally in the classroom setting like teacher uh like structure that that way right because so that learning is stronger yeah like you like teacher ask you to okay like you have to like first think about it before me telling you anything so that's always powerful like it's anyway i don't it's more intuitive now to me. That, yeah. uh, so it, it was like I needed to do some digging. Why am I, I am doing this way, right? Uh, so I got help from others in the like, this team, like um, asking me a lot of questions about like, oh, so why you pick this instead of this? Why you do this instead of this? Like they, they helped me to um, in, investigate like what is what is how what is the structure of my thinking and then then kind of squeeze these um answers into three principles <laughs> so like if i describe that beautifully like you know it didn't look like that in like, the beginning it didn't look like that in the beginning but that i told you like bashan asked me like hundreds of questions yeah and then he did that screening like after he received all these answers and all the answers i was like to me it was like oh why do you ask it that's like normal like that's very <laughs> normal to me but then but then it wasn't normal to others um something that was very normal like or i shouldn't say normal it's like a common to me or that's like common sense to me but it was because because we have all cultural differences uh, background differences and then and, and other things and then I, that's what I learned that EF is, nothing is really common. <laughs> so you really have to establish that within the organization, especially we thrive to be very diverse and, um, you know, different background, different um, cultures, and then also, you know, different views and different family background. And then within that, we try to have share the same vision and then we do need some guiding guidance People yeah it's, need- it's very interesting also how diverse it is in a, in a deep sense of the word like there are people from different countries different backgrounds like just totally different upbringings you know like you were a teacher in japan <laughs> you know like yeah and so that means um you probably have to 
um, go to the root of why some of these things, like why we, why we do things the way we do more so than, you know, an organization that was co-located in a particular city and like could maybe make more assumptions about, hey, this is just, this is common knowledge. We're all coming yeah. from like the same place. Yeah, funny, like, did you hear the news about this after World Cup game? Uh, like each game, like Japanese fans, like audience, they clean up the 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 place wow. after after they watch, and it became someone became like a very vital like like little uh, the sorry news. Uh, everyone was talking about it, and wow, and then someone was even like complaining they were doing it as a show, and then for Japanese, we laughed like I laughed. It was like a why is it so special, right? Isn't that common sense? Like if you go to one place and then you, you, you know, you, you do like, because they're focusing on like a cheering and then like maybe eating some food or like, it's normal to clean up after you, you're, you know, you're done. And then I just, um, that's why, that's how different that, that's how, because I grew up in the culture where kind of everyone looked the same and then everyone was Japanese. And then we were, we had this like, uh, what is it, uh, cleaning time at, in, in elementary school, which was, I thought it was a super normal thing. And I learned that it wasn't the case in the U.S., mean, meaning like a kids in the end of the day, every day, uh, or actually after lunchtime, we always had this cleaning time. And then uh, each classroom is assigned to some public space because someone needs to clean the public bath or bathroom kind of thing, right? So this classroom is assigned to this space and this classroom is like, so we had this cleaning time. And so clean, that was like, you know, how we were trained. So we always like, of course we clean up after we, we are done with the place. So and then we had no idea that was going to be a big news. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like, that's how different each culture is i think there that's also really cool especially in the crypto community kind of coming into contact from people who have such different backgrounds and realizing how much of the ways we are how flexible they are and how we can even our most deeply held like stances toward the world could be totally different that's why i think it's always a good, good training for um but I want AF team members to, it's more comfortable to only have the same background people, right? Especially if you're a team lead, it's easier to manage the same like a background people. Cause like if that, if the culture is that different, right? And Japanese might be upset when someone is not cleaning up after they create a mess, but that's so common, right? So like, it's easier to just work with the same type of people. But uh, but because if because Ethereum is a global common commons, I hope like it's like a global system, right? It's um it's not supposed to be only for one region or like so like you should we should push ourselves to mm. to not not just like see but actually experience it. Uh, within, and then it's, again, it's not easier than having the same background people. Into the Bytecode is sponsored by Privy. 
One of the biggest problems we're grappling with as builders working on crypto-enabled applications is how to make the right trade-offs between user experience on the one hand and security and privacy on the other hand. How do we promote self-custody and ownership while letting the application shine rather than the crypto behind it? So Privy plays an important role here. They provide simple onboarding so anyone can connect to your app easily by allowing them to sign in with an existing wallet or by making it easy for you to provision a new self-custodial wallet for them, linking to social logins like Google, Twitter, or Discord. I personally have faith in Privy because of the team. Henry Stern, who's one of the co-founders, was previously on an episode of this podcast. So you can listen to that conversation for more of a deep dive. And he and his partner, Asta Lee, have been thinking about data privacy and security for a long, long time. And you can see this in the level of thought they're putting into the product. So if you're working on a new product and thinking about how to reach a wider group of users without compromising on either user experience or privacy and security, then I encourage you to check out Privy at privy.io. We've talked about this idea of subtraction. Yes. <laughs> uh, subtraction. So again, like uh, going back to the basic, basically, normally an organization or company tends to try to accumulate power, right? Or prestige. And, but then like we go the opposite direction and subtract our power as much as possible so that um, others can take. I mean, we don't mean like one single organization can take it all. It's more like this, the power can be spread and, it, and distributed into this ecosystem. Um, so simply said that, but it's not as easy as because it's a, our natural human tendency to add uh, like you know like gaining more power is normally recognized as a, as a good thing right? uh, becoming big or powerful is always recognized as a good thing and especially if you're running a startup or um, like investors expect you to be, be become bigger and powerful and the more profit is always better um, for us um if if we have less things to do, which is not the case yet, but that is a better situation. It's it's better for Ethereum. It's it, better. It for goes Ethereum. to this distinction between Ethereum, this like ecosystem, yeah, um, this garden, and then the Ethereum Foundation, which is one player within the ecosystem, and yeah, a gardener in the ecosystem. So we are pr we prioritize the success of Ethereum or the, the long-term health longevity of Ethereum over the success of Ethereum Foundation. And meaning like we would be, I guess, in, in a way we would be successful if we succeed in that, but um, we, we, that's our priority. So sometimes um, we will um, decide not to take action, some action, because uh, this is already well planned or well done by someone else in the ecosystem, which we are happy about it. And, and then, because again, like I said, the EF used to be the Ethereum ecosystem. And, and because that's not the case anymore, 
Yep doesn't have to do everything. So we should celebrate that. And um, but still, because of the history and because of uh, our role, like it's, um, we have to constantly remind ourselves to think that way. Um, yeah, sometimes it, it is not easy to take that route. And um, so we spend a lot of time to teach this to, to like newer people at the Ethereum Foundation. I mean, yeah. I, um, there's a talk I did at DevCom, if anyone is interested, that like, um, you know, that, that is like a 25 minutes of explanation about subtraction and what EF did, examples and everything. But um, it is, it's not just a philosophy or a principle, but it, it is a strategy for Ethereum. And then I do believe that it's, that's the only way like now I'm very, very clear. Um, like when there's a question about, oh, should we subtract this? But there, there are trade-offs. And this is not never easy route, right? Easy, easy way to do things. It's going to be harder. It's going to take longer. It's going to be harder. And then there is no guarantee that it's going to succeed, right? But then still... I believe this that's the only way for Ethereum to to stay Ethereum or like actually glow as Ethereum. And there's no other way. So we have to take it seriously. Otherwise, um, if Ethereum glows in a different the uh, the other way by us adding, by us taking more power and prestige, and then I Ethereum would become something different. Like that, I that's not the Ethereum that I actually, you know, like want yeah. to support. It just doesn't really even make sense. It becomes like something. It like becomes a like a platform that this like company is like building and providing for the world, yeah. rather than this, rather than this like ecosystem that's you know, it's a this become, like fabric that's decentralized and that everyone's repairing together and fixing and moving forwards and. There isn't, you know, it's it's more participatory in nature. Yeah, and then it becomes becomes a product, a product of a, a company almost, right? And that's very boring. Ethereum is way bigger than a product or just even just a technology. So um, not to lose that potential, which it should not be even predict predictable. And so that's why... You know, I said it's in the way that we believe in Ethereum and Ethereum's potential is too big for someone, uh, sorry, Ethereum's potential is too big for one organization to own. And so we shouldn't even know what the potential is, right? Yeah. Like, so that's why um, we should like spread the power to others and then always try to subtract. Um. Yeah, so that it's, is... It's also quite, you know, it sounds philosophical, but it's, like you said, it's not only a principle, it's like a very concrete strategy. And I think it's one that actually makes a lot of logical sense. And maybe to bring in one concrete example, thinking about developer tooling. And, you know, you could 
go back to say 2017 and I'm trying to build an application on Ethereum and it sucks. It's like everything's broken. It's, uh, you know, I just get these error messages, smart contracts like fail. And the default impulse would be, okay, we have, you know, we're the Ethereum foundation. We have engineers who understand the protocol. Let's create a new team to DevX fix, team. The, yeah. fix the developer stack, you know, build a better tooling. And it might, you know, it might have worked, you know, improve faster. But even that's like not clear in my mind. But, you know, what happened was we got connected and, you know, it was Albert, Robbie and myself who got connected with the Nomic no, Labs team, right? And Franco and Patricia who were building Hard Hat at the very beginning. And, you know, this was the insights of Albert and, and Robbie who like started that relationship, but that, okay, here's like a very, very talented team who actually wants to go work on this, who has a long-term point of view and they've already started doing it. And so why don't we empower them? Why don't we give them grant funding? Why don't we help them like get this thing off the ground? Yeah. And over time, you look at Hardhat and then more and more teams around the ecosystem start using Hardhat and it, it kind of grows and like blossoms into this like really independent organization. Yeah. And so I said that, um, you know, we executed on it and then, but like Namik's case is, is even more beautiful if you think about it. Like, yes, we subtracted, right? And then they, uh, discover this team and then um, supported them and then they built hard heart but then they decided not to just own one product that is was very successful they just decided to support that domain um, more more extensively that's why they decided to become like they were a startup they decided to take a, like a harder life to become a foundation yeah and they basically that's you see subtraction there. I mean, like I didn't really teach them. It's about like like this. This is like you know. Totally, it's yeah. It's so creating, the crazy creating the, like they, they they did the subtraction work that opened up the door for others to be part of this. You know, like building tools together things. Like they will support other teams uh, who are going to build you know other tools. And that is, and then. Like once you experience that, and then like a Franco also said, said this, um, so at Xerox Parks, Brian too, like they, they, they enjoy it. They, it's, it's more fun and it's exciting to be able to support others and empower others just than owning one, like, I mean, like holding thing just inside them. So that, like, I just think that once anyone experiences this, like you, you, you feel, that's why I explain subtraction is hard and it requires more work to do. It's, it's a lot easier for EF to just, you know, build, build a team and then do everything in house, but it is harder. But at the same time, it's more exciting and fun. And then it's not all just hard part. So like that's the, um, that's the message I wanted to share. This is, this should be adopt. This can be, you know, it's not just for EF. It started at EF and, and, uh, you know, like, but I felt like sharing this 
more to other other people because it's, this can be adapted by by anyone in yeah. the ecosystem because this need this this is this is necessary for Ethereum um, and that means it cannot be just done by EF. It's a very interesting point thinking about like the EF is doing subtraction. But then basically what happened with Nomic and Hardhat was for people who don't know the story is that it was a normal for-profit company building this successful developer tool. And at some point they decided that they, rather than being the ones who are building this tool, you know, and, and offering it as a company does, transitioning to the no, being like the Nomic Foundation, which is a nonprofit foundation and kind of like putting the subtraction philosophy into action in their own side. Yeah. And it's very interesting. Yeah. It, it, there's this shift. It's, it's in, it's in some ways it's like similar to open source, but like from an organizational point, right? Oh, totally. Like open source is definitely subtraction, but also, so it's not again in the same way that I read the book and I thought this was really new, but it was in me. This is already in Ethereum. Like, like I'm trying to share that, um, describe that in, in, into one word so that everyone can be more aware. For example, like ENS, we, I shared ENS as, as one of the example, like, like, okay, like we, we, we let them graduate. And, and then actually I saw that the, uh, one of the team members were tweeting about like, okay, we also do this subtraction, like we, community first and so you see that um, at different parts of Ethereum so it's like uh, it's already there but without us being more aware we could lose it because like you know again adding is more natural yeah yeah and and one thing that's I think this is um one of the things that's unique in this ecosystem when, you know, contrasting it with open source is that you can have like real funding and like the value, the the financial, the economic layer can exist in a way that creates a positive sum interaction between the participants. And this is, I think, you know, it's true in the case of Ethereum, where one of the things that's unique about the EF is that it has a real endowment that that fully aligns it with Ethereum, the network, and it doesn't actually have to do anything that's unaligned with that. And I think this is one of the problems with the default open source model is that there are, you know, very small teams that are carrying these huge burdens and not able to close that economic feedback loop to be well resourced and to also, you know, to also like financially win themselves. Like, I think the best version of this aligns all of these pieces of the puzzle together. And I know we, we, there aren't necessarily clear answers to how this works. There are individual examples of it. And but I think it's also what's exciting about it, you know? And it's also like part of the, it's also part of the, um, where it gets like tricky because you don't want to just like create a token because that's what people do. Um, and how do you yeah. design a system that fits, um, 
fits like the public good infrastructure that you're trying to build and you're trying to contribute to and have other people to contribute to. Yeah. Yeah. True. I mean, like it's, that's the beauty where, you know, crypto made um, it possible for that values to be, to also have financial independence. Right. That's I, I really think that's probably the brilliant part of this innovation um, that in the past, in the history, it was hard for those type of like, it only belonged to nonprofit, more like, more kind of like a not financially stable nonprofit ideas. Because the nonprofit model is hard. Like you have yeah. to go out and continuously fundraise and yeah. you're beholden to these external stakeholders. Yeah, yeah. So like being independent, um, but still, you know, create able to create impact with holding those values is very, um, um, yeah, beautiful part of what crypto enabled. If we zoom out of all of this and you think about Ethereum and fast forwarding 50 years into the future or 100 years into the future or whatever timeline you want to think about, um, what does success l look like to you? Like how, what is a vision of Ethereum in the world that you find compelling? Yeah. You know, I always hate this question. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I shouldn't even know the potential. It's true. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a fair answer. But um, um, I do, I can only say very high level, like my hope, right? But I'm not, again, like I, the, like I said, Ethereum's potential should be unpredictable, right? So I shouldn't even know. But... So that's why super high level, I hope this to be, be like, like the, um, the power for the tools to make the world a better place, which we, I was, um, that was one of the reasons that I wanted to support Ethereum on like, you know, my previous work was because of my previous work, I was, kind of like familiar with all other things in crypto. And then I, like, uh, Ethereum was the, the one that I wanted to support. And why is that? But um, because the people around it and what I see and what I hear, heard, uh, what I saw and what I heard, I felt that it's, it, it, it seemed to be, like, you know, um, like a people around this, including Vitalik Buterin, like, are working on this for for the better world and and I still believe so I can actually even I'm in this but I can still feel that way but that's that's like a lot of um, um, we cannot EF cannot be just the only organization that is hoping so so with that um, like how can we get there like that's the success when you say success model is like for for me from my position or from my role is that um basically the values or uh the 
principles that I believe in or we believe in and we are trying to share and then um, we try to inspire others in the community to uh, you know have some type of principles so that like the values the Ethereum values we share are going to sus- be sustained and in however way if that that, that happens for the longer time that's that's the definition of my success. And that way, this ecosystem is going to stay, not just to live long. Longevity is not just the only thing. You have to live long, but in a healthy state. So if, if this is maintained in a healthy state, and then the definition of healthy here means that still sustaining those values that Ethereum has now. Like, yeah. Like so, that's that's the definition of my success, and and even fur- further, I sometimes share this. Like, um, for example, a lot of values in Japanese cultures. It came from Zen Buddhism, and but everyone in Japan says we're not religious, right? But we don't even know that is from Zen Buddhism. Like a lot of people don't are not even aware that that is from Zen Buddhism anymore because it's so deep into our culture and it already became a common sense and and like natural thing for like in our behaviors or in our thinking. So like how do, that would be great if our, our values are go so deep into our culture that we don't even have That to they're not even explicit anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So that's very philosophical way of explaining it. I love that. And also like think putting that, applying that to the context of Ethereum, what you said, I think makes a lot of sense, which is if Ethereum is this garden and the whole point of a garden again, is that it, there's a multitude of voices and it's spontaneous and you can't predict it and you're, you're not the one driving it. Then the best version of a vision you can have is that it's, um, yeah, that the garden is healthy and that the, the values that we're talking about are basically deeply woven into the garden so that the things that spring up are, are good for the world. So it's like, I think you did your thing where you're like very intuitive about something, <laughs> but, but I think, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, uh, I'm a little bit more hope, like hopeful and then confident that you know, because I see it, like we are seeing examples now, right? Like, yeah. like we talked. Um, yeah. So I'm more hopeful now. Yeah. It is kind of like an invitation to, to people because mm-hmm. it's not the default way that the world works or that business works. Um, no. It has to be effective in the world. And it is, I mean, Ethereum is working and it's grown, I mean, it's grown like a crazy amount, even if you try to like assess it objectively from the outside, but it's operating with a different set of principles than, you know, normal like business strategy. Yeah, I want everyone to experience it because it's really um, more fun and, and, and exciting. And then when you just keep adding, there's always, you have to compete with others, right? You have to, there's only way for you to succeed. But when you subtract and then you invite others to be part of it 
and and it becomes like become like more like a team thing or like a team meaning like it's very collective work together and and that's that's definitely a lot more fun yeah and you don't you don't have to you don't have to like contain it it's like you don't even have to you yourself doesn't have to be perfect because again that's the well the even imperfection is good because imperfection invites other people to try and make mistakes and actually makes them comfortable with like kind of like being messy in their own way already and if you look at ethereum like why ethereum has become like what it is now is it was so imperfect in the beginning yeah right and even people i mean like this is this is not like uh, offending them but it's like people around it was not perfect like because it was only a, a you know a collection of some people but by inviting others right there was some like imperfection and then like some expertise like this each different domain expert just came in like because like oh i know this thing and they helped so yeah subtraction was already there yeah i think ethereum I mean, I think every organization is kind of like broken in its own ways once you're <laughs> on the inside. At least that's been my experience. And I think for Ethere- the Ethereum Foundation and Ethereum, that almost worked out in a lucky way because, you know, le- you might almost intentionally, as a part of the subtraction strategy, be like, I don't want to get everything perfect. I want to be imperfect because it invites others in. But I think. The EF kind of did that <laughs> naturally. And then in this, and, and that allowed these other players to step in. Um, it was, and then, you know, and then, and then the EF has also really, really improved over the years. I mean, this is one of the things that I think now people look at the EF and can actually see the output of it, like whether it's on the technical side with like, you know, again, it's not the EF doing this stuff, but like EIP 1559 the merge, like all this stuff. And then on the EcoDev side, like seeing DevConnect, seeing DevCon, like the Ethereum.org website, like it, you can actually see the, the, out, the outputs of an organization that's healthy. Um, I think that's like one of the things, especially with people who've been around Ethereum for a while, people, I think now like people have really like started to see it, but I, that's one of the things I've been saying to people is like, the EF has really improved over the years. And I think in large part is credit to you and other folks like Josh, Bastian, Albert, like all sorts, Danny, you know, lots of lots of people. No, you helped part of it yeah. too. But um, yeah, it was never one person work. This was to, um, yeah. And I was very fortunate to have like a great people like Albert or like he was a rear supporter and then, and then currently it's Josh, Bastian, Danny, and and also Vitalik, and it's, everyone is was, you know, um, like we we did work together and went through a lot of <laughs> lot of things together. So I would have been able to wouldn't have been able to do it alone. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of stories of. Ethereum and the EF's like early days. And I think there is another story or a continuation of that story that is still being written. 
but I think it's like oh, yeah. very much like kind of a, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful yeah. continuation of that story, you know? Yeah, and yeah. it's still, it's not even close to, it's like yeah. in the middle of being written right now, I feel. Exactly. But I, I do think there's something unique going on in the work. Yeah, totally. Like people think that the earlier time of his name was very dramatic. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I think uh, our time is also, you know, like it's it was an easy time, but I think, um, um, yeah, it's um, hopefully this is stays <laughs> peaceful. Yeah. <laughs> but again, like yeah. The like, interesting thing is that we can't really control things, and that's why um, it's like a natural disasters like you you face in. Um, um, so we we be, like teamwork like is team bonding is becoming stronger. We're <laughs> surviving yeah. together, right? It's kind of fun in a, in a <laughs> yeah. weird way. Yeah, yeah. So we do have those natural. I don't know. It's like natural or unnatural, but some disasters in the, yeah. in the industry, and then we have to go through it. Yeah, yeah. I think there's also this sense of like bonding in the broader Ethereum community of all the crazy shit we go through together. Oh, yes. Like I, I feel it definitely in the context of Zeitgeist. Yeah. When in the last like three months, you know, mm. these early teams who are trying to build what, trying to do what they can, trying to like fundraise, and then you know, FTX explodes and you're like, okay. <laughs> and right. in a way, in a way it's this, I mean, it's all part of, it's all part of the game. It's, you gotta, you gotta kind of dance and move with what's happening. Yeah. But I think in a way, I mean, this has been one of the things that's really resonated with me. Um, and honestly has been, you know, I had an intuition of it, but it's been a surprise to see it play out in reality is the level of like connection that we build um, by going through this like crazy journey together and the stuff, the natural disasters that are yeah. somehow like a law of nature and crypto and happen with some regularity almost just bring us closer together. Like it's not only within one org, it's within the community. We share this bond because of everything we've gone through together. So... Um, I don't know if we can really call F the FTX case natural disaster, but um, it is true, like, um, a lot of people, like, a funny story is a lot of people, like, my old friends or, like, they were, um, like, you know, sending me messages, how, hey, how are you doing, like, or checking up with me. And, like I say, we're doing fine. We are doing very fine and like even like n not, nothing had changed for us meaning like what we are, need to focus on or what we need to do hasn't really changed um but if anything like this just remind us even more that you know this is a reason why we're working on ethereum is like, because the problem is nothing to do with actually the blockchain technology like most of the stuff we see. Um, and again, again, that's that's like even what happened was even actually the problem of like this people's addiction to addition. Yeah, in a way it's very, it's reaffirming. It's, it's the same, 
it's like the same principles. I do feel like for me personally, like having been someone, like I grew up in Iran, but I left and like moved to Canada when I was 14. So my like real, you know, worldview has been shaped in the West in like countries like Canada and the US, which till recently didn't have these sorts of problems. And so there is a way, you know, like I think about what crypto is useful for and I do in a, I did in a philosophical way appreciate that like the infrastructure needs to be um, censorship resistant and reliable and robust and, and all of these things. But I think there's another way that going through this stuff personally, like viscerally, really makes it much more real for you. And I think there it's a thing that, you know, people in Argentina and Venezuela and like different parts of the world have had for some time because yeah. they live it in their lives. They already have experience. But I think before. in like North America, I think all the stuff that's been going on, FTX being one example of it, but also other things, um, I think has made the reasons why we work on all this stuff feel much more salient, at least to me personally. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then it's that, that is, that is why it is even more important to talk about, like we operate under the subtraction principle or strategy is important because again, like this is the gut this. It's, it is, it is, this totally comes from the addiction to addition because like people, you know, like tend to not, the, having more power is is important, and then don't even think about that how that would affect the society, and like that simple mindset made this horrible disaster, and then it's it's very unfortunate. It's affecting a lot of uh, part of the um, you know the people in the ecosystem um, as much as like EF is is doing fine, and then we are. We keep doing things what, like, you know, in, in the way we've been doing. Yeah. But, um, but yeah. I personally experienced, you know, like I not just watched, I was involved in this Mark Gox bankruptcy case um, um, in Japan. It's like the OG FTX. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, this is this is like deja vu and then oh wow like after you know like almost a decade um this we thought that the 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 word have learned but we haven't but that's not really nothing to do with the technology it's really like to do with that tendency of like like you can't really let go of that you know Controlling I think the there is also a deeper truth here, which is kind of unfortunate, which is that we, um, it's like the lived memory of something that teaches you to do things differently. And I think people over time, one, people forget, um, but also like there's just so many new people in the ecosystem, myself included, who didn't experience Mt. Gox. So it's, kind of unfortunate that we, we like don't, we don't learn these lessons unless we go through it together. Like yeah. taking, you know, taking 
freedom of speech, freedom of press, like all these things uh, for granted in some ways because we haven't lived in a society where they're not the case. But for me, it's more salient because I grew up in Iran and I saw those things, like where it, what it's like to not be able to, like you can't write something publicly because it could end very badly for you. And so that makes me like appreciate this stuff much more. And it's also why we need to build these structures and like have the values like become implicit into the system because I think leaving them to the level of people to consciously like reason about these things, make choices is like, there's some wishful thinking there, I think in the long term. Like yeah. the, the design, the environment needs to support certain ways of being and like propagate certain values forward. Yeah. So with that, I do actually think that um, it's also another reminder for myself the importance of education. Um, meaning like that you, you just mentioned that some like new people or kids now don't even know about, about Cox, right? Like the same way like some generation, our generation didn't grow up with, uh, like experiencing a war or like at least the world class war. Um, and um, so that how do we educate that? It's 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 very important. Um, like I I I see that is still missing. Um, I mean, there are a lot of educational efforts, but we are still that you know there's a lot a lot of still room for us to meaning not just yeah, but for the community members to do that more like like. And then I think the important part is, is why, like why we are working on it needs to be explained. And then the more excited people are about Ethereum or Web3, right? And then now like a lot of investment is happening just because they don't really care what, what it is. It's just like, it's just investing in Web3. So that is, that is the danger because you lose why and then like, this is how this happened. Yeah, it's almost another one of the beautiful paradoxes <laughs> of this world, which is yeah. this ecosystem where the core of it, I think the people building it across these organizations really like care about these values. And this is the reason why they're working on it in the first place and they're bringing it into every technical decision they make about how the protocol is like decentralized and censorship resistance. And then the fact that this is juxtaposed with the amount of like scams and like crap that's going on in this space, it's just, it's very interesting. <laughs> it's almost like an absurdist play. Yeah. Um, and um, and I, I think it is a, I mean, it's definitely a challenge with, because from the outside, that level of nuance isn't visible, right? Crypto is just crypto. And exactly. I was thinking about, I mean, just putting myself in the shoes of someone who's lost money in FTX, you know, like I use all these different fintech apps, like I use a Wealthfront like savings account and it would be insane if one day I just came back and I was like, oh, like all the savings you had in here are gone and how that would affect how I relate to all kind of like fintech or like, you know, tech 
like web-based banking. Um, so we definitely have our, we have our work cut out for us, but it can also be a moment to really like, to really recenter and refocus on what the values are that we care about, how we want to build this ecosystem. And it is like one of these disasters to go through that brings, brings the community together in a deeper way. Yeah. So again, the FDX case, the tragedy, tragedy, this can happen anywhere, right? This, this kind of stuff can happen anywhere, but I'm more even like more frustrating. It's, I'm so mad that this happened in this industry where the technology of decentralized system, like that, that people are building that technology, like, like, this happening in this industry is so frustrating because it's like the opposite thing that we want to see, right? Like it's like where are, so that's why um, I, I am, I am very mad at it, but it's also like it remind, reminds me that like we need to be more vocal about those, like when, where are the areas that could lose those values, that are important values that this industry needs to carry. Yeah, I mean, there's not, we can't really control everything, but EF can also, you know, like at least show examples and also um, share our voice. Yeah. 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 So maybe switching gears for one final topic to also maybe leave things on a positive note. I think one of the things you care about is how Ethereum can be used in around the world, in emerging economies, in developing countries. And I know I was listening to this podcast that you did many years ago where you even talked about maybe as part of your graduate degree, you like were looking into, you were researching microfinance. And I'm curious if you have any particular stories from different parts of the world that you find inspiring in maybe early, early ways that crypto is able to contribute to what's going on there or how you think about all of this. Like what, what, would, what would you wanna share with, with folks who are mostly based in the Western world or thinking about these things? Yeah, um, so the reason why, you know, I use this term next billion is that, um, I mean, I didn't invent it. That's kind of like that terminology that that type of industry use, like next billion people are the one that are um, mostly in the emerging economies now, like because like, um, you know, like, like uh, most of the babies that are born today, like three-fourths of babies that are born today are from the emerging economies. And if you don't think about them, right, first of all, that is not smart um, because they are going to be the majority, like they are majority, like just by numbers, right? But also, uh, more importantly, like I do believe in, um, believe that, they're going to help Ethereum to become, that's the part that I, I say, 
the Ethereum's potential is unpredictable. Um, and they are a huge part of it. And the reason why is that, um, you know, we touched this a little bit in our conversation today, but if you visit, um, you know, those countries and areas, you see like how their infrastructure is not really developed, well developed, but people still live and survive, right? And then people in Argentina, they are like, look how they're happy after World Cup game, like, but mm. they, they live, uh, they can they they survive in in this inflation waves right and that's that's why um, when I went to Buenos Aires I recognized like more women are in in the community like more female members are in the community um, in different layers and also not just in the community like more like regular uh people like female members in in the public general public they are all aware of this technology and why is that um, because this is not cool new tech they're not they're right. not they're really, not chasing like the new tech trend. yeah it's it's not about like okay like this is like you know like investors who are chasing like what is the next trend no they can't really afford to like like uh chase the new cool thing it's 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 more about this is a necessity for them so they do pay attention like even like a you know like a woman who has kids and then busy uh, with their family they do need to be aware of this because this is the, the, a tool for them to survive right um and that necessity is is a huge um that the power is so strong and and you feel it if you go there like you like if you go to a hackathon like um, happening in those areas um hackers think about how to solve problems around them because like they have to start from there right and and one of um like yeah fellowship fellow who is working on this GovTech in mexico and argentina like he was like, well, he was interested in, like he decided to work on public uh, public sectors, fixing public sectors things, because that was that that was causing a lot of problems in his own life, right? Like without fixing it, like even the police you're talking to may might may be a fake police in Mexico. That happens a lot, right? And that's like. We don't live in that life. So like um, there's type of creativity that comes out of that challenging situation. And that's something I just felt that I can't compete with that. Like mm. that creativity comes with like a strong necessity. Mm. Um, and so I feel that um, that they can add, and I'm not saying that develop the people from developed country are you stressed? It's it's more about like they can. They bring compliment. a different perspective. Yeah, they definitely bring a different perspective, and then like they can add different type of creativity that we can even think about, and that, that would help Ethereum to to go to the next level. Is how I believe, and that I just have experience and I see it 
And yeah, so it is not just about the number of population, but it is that strong, um, you know, necessity and creativity that comes out of it. It's a different relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and then I I I hope like people felt it visiting Bogota mm-hmm. this time and DevCon and the reason why I really want DevCon to happen there or somewhere in Latin America was that I wanted people to see it, feel it. You kind of have to experience it, experience it. Like just hearing it, it's like yeah, you've heard of it, but you have to go out there and see, like feel that that passion and the energy that comes out of it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's different in in a way where you know, in in like the in North America the vibe and it's a vibe that I really like and resonate with. It's like wouldn't it be cool if we do this, you know, and it's like very playful and experimental and like what if we build this crazy on-chain game and that's motivating some of the exploration that's happening. But that's a very different thing than, you know, uh, my government just banned me from buying U.S. dollars and now all my money is like getting inflated like crazy. And how do I get out of this? Um, And again, it goes to this like this global, you know, building something that's globally inclusive and allows, you know, welcomes people from different parts of the world to like bring their own perspective into it being really powerful. Yeah. So Ethereum can create something very new and fun for sure, right? Like such as gaming and stuff, which is also great. But at the same time, this can be also uh, can create strong tools for problems in in the systems of the world. And where are people experiencing those problems most, right? And then like if you go out there, like if you have if you have to face that problem in the system every single day, they know where to start. They know, they know like they have the creativity to work with it. And then like that, they, if they, they already might have, they already might have already the idea, right? And then like that combining with Ethereum. So that's what I want to see more. Mm. Like they have this image of like this, this type of idea should be able to solve this problem, right? And then, and if they learn about Ethereum, they might be, that that might solve part of that, you know, mm-hmm. the idea. So that is that combination I want to see more. And I think, um, you know, we've been seeing a little bit of part of it. Like, for example, like um, small insurance, sorry, strong, small farmer insurance in, in sub-Saharan Africa, right? Mm-hmm. And then, the uh, farmers, small farmers in, in Africa, they are affected by climate changes uh, way bigger than other places. And uh, they some, themselves don't have like incentives to do like like more sustainable way of farming. Um, and, but anyway, so that insurance from that, that uh, weather damage Normally that doesn't exist, right? And then they ha- have been already those. Uh, why? Why doesn't it normally exist? Because they're all like correlated with each other. It's very hard. How insurance works is very hard to normally. Like if you know, like if you have the burn in a car accident or something like that, right? There's a policy, and then they've also because of the, 
insurance policy, there is someone who is who comes to investigate the case and then see like how this applies to like that that agreement in the policy, and then there you get the insurance or not. Like someone is physically manually there to decide whether you are eligible to to receive this insurance, right? And that's how insurance normally works. This is the same way, but the, with with the weather damage, it's very hard to uh, verify that. But also, um, mm. you know, and but if you put that into the technology, and then this like Ether has created this um, system to, um, you know, like uh, put use weather index into smart contract, and then I mean it's still developing, you know, like it. it because there are many other things to figure out. But the idea is very simple, but it's then they already had small farmer insurance in Africa, places like Africa, same as microfinance, like microinsurance already exists. But why don't we just combine this, this with the technology? And then that gives a very strong power for them to be able to like you know, like a lot of stuff that is being done by manually because the, because the manual coordination is not efficiently happening, right? Like it was impossible to do it because like running an insurance company costs a lot, like regulatory costs and everything. But this technology is, is eliminating a lot of those obstacles or uh, unnecessarily middle like intermediary stages. Yeah. So that kind of thing. It's like that is, it sounds simple, very, very innovational. That can only happen with this, like, that combination is something I'm always super excited about. Yeah. Yeah. One of the teams that, who I know personally and is working on adjacent areas is Goldfinch. And they're like, it's microfinance institutions in, you know, Kenya and like South America, different places. And it's also, it's interesting just to look at this landscape from a macro point of view. And one of the things they were telling me early on was that like, if you need a very small amount of funding, there are local sources, like there are funds and stuff within the country that can maybe supply that to you. And then if you want massive amounts of funding, like hundreds of millions of dollars, then you can take on all the friction and the extra work of going and, you know, communicating with the, you know, American or European financial centers. But there's this whole kind of area in the middle that's unserviced. And there are, you know, small boutique microfinance institutions that have built these relationships but by building this infrastructure, you really like connect, you connect this part of the world with, with the rest of the world in a, in a very powerful way. And it's, it's similar, I mean, people use this framing a lot, but it's similar to how the internet connects people from an informational point of view. Um, crypto can connect people on, on like the value on the economic layer. Amongst other, like you can do a lot of other stuff because you get, you know, you can, build identity and all of this stuff. But in this particular case, the fact that um, you have one shared economic uh, layer without intermediaries 
is super powerful. Yeah, yeah. And then that's like, you know, we we use that term to explain blockchain in the beginning, but like at some point we just like, I don't know, like no one explains it anymore and we talked about Web3 and Netflix. <laughs> New stuff, but then like, yeah, going back to basic, like it's um, reducing intermediary is is the powerful part of, like, again, like, I think it's not just the reduction of numbers, it's more about, what is it, EF explains, Ethereum is a protocol for human coordination, and human coordination have a lot of like, you know, it becomes more complex. Also, with the power of the internet, it became, became more global and more uh, multi-layered. And so it, it, in a way, like it, it, it's, it's, the scale is bigger, but at the same time, it's too complex. Someone can cheat it or someone can make a mistake. Ethereum is there to, for, for human, to support human coordination and human is, are the one that are coordinating still, like where you can't eliminate human, but it's there to support, it's there to complement. I mean, like, I guess that's how I always say that it's not just technology, it's not going to do everything. Like human have to be still sane and and reasonable and, and then um, value oriented otherwise. How do you feel? Should we close here? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank you for indulging me on this <laughs> risky venture as uh, as my my first one in person with video, and I'm super happy to be doing it together. Thank you for having me. Hey, I'm gonna make a small ask here. If you've been listening to these conversations and want to support what we're doing here, I would really, really appreciate if you could leave a rating and a review for the podcast wherever you're listening to it. This might seem like a small thing, but it will really help other people also discover the show. Thank you. I'm grateful to be able to do this and look forward to being here together again soon.